Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. This is your host, Jamil Hassan, the crypto hipster, uh, where I bring you founders, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, experts in their fields, um, artists, musicians, you name it, in crypto and blockchain from around the world. Um, and today I have an amazing and very timely guest um, for some of the events that occurred today. Um, his name is Justin Chu. He is the head of compliance and money laundering reporting officer at Capital um, in Singapore. Justin, welcome. Hi, Jamil. Thank you very much for having me on today. You're very welcome. Very, very, very welcome. I had your CEO. What is your background and is it a logical background for what you're doing now? Right. I'm happy to share a little bit more. Okay, I started off um, in law enforcement in Singapore uh, as a financial investigator for the local financial intelligence unit um, 12 years ago. So back then I was uh, working with uh, the police force uh, in investigating into uh, suspicious transaction reports that were being filed uh, by the financial institutions and the casinos uh, locally in Singapore itself. Yep. So back then, uh, things were a little bit different and simpler. Uh, we didn't actually have uh, crypto exchanges uh, uh, going around in Singapore. And um, subsequently, I moved on to various um, Singapore uh, headquartered banks uh, covering AML compliance work before moving over to the fintech uh, payment space in 2018 itself. So I would say that um, before join, uh, my background before joining Capital is something that's uh, very uh, a progression from what I have been doing across all these years. Uh, and I would say that I have had full exposure to the end-to-end -end, uh, value chain uh, of the financial services industry from the law enforcement regulators perspective um, to a financial institution perspective. And um, being exposed um, to the practices in traditional finance um, uh, has definitely served me uh, well in terms of introducing uh, industry best practices in managing uh, compliance risk um, for capital as a business. Great. And uh, just for my audience who didn't listen to my podcast with Bremen back in September, what is capital? What are you guys all about? And what do you focus on in your role? Cool. I'll be happy to share a lot uh, more about uh, what capital is all about, as well as um, the difference which um, I see myself making my uh, role itself as um, the group's head of compliance. Okay, so Capital is actually uh, a cryptocurrency um, wealth management platform itself. Uh, we, our objective is to make uh, cryptocurrency investments uh, uh, simple and secure, uh, something that the everyday man would be able to uh, relate to, uh, understand uh, in terms of uh, growing their wealth uh, on, in, on a very safe uh, basis itself. So, um, I mean, our tagline is actually crypto without the crazy, which I think uh, fits in very well uh, with the current environment when we see, you know, the day-to-day -day volatility uh, across various cryptocurrencies itself. So what we seek to do is um, to make uh, investments into cryptocurrency a very sensible uh, process uh, to smooth out all that volatility so that our customers would be able um, to gradually accumulate uh, and build their wealth uh, over time in order for them to achieve uh, whatever financial 
uh, goals that they may have uh, set for themselves. Yeah. So as the head of compliance uh, itself, I oversee Capital's uh, global compliance program. So stuff I do would be uh, like licensing, AML, CFT risk management, marketing conduct compliance, like how the company conducts its marketing activities, um, operational risk management itself. Um, so these are uh, basically a summary of all the uh, areas that I actually oversee. So for my role itself, um, I personally see um, the difference that I make uh, from uh, three different angles itself, um, all rolled into one. So definitely I'm a risk uh, and control of uh, person itself. Yep. So my function actually allows uh, the company's business to be in line uh, with various regulatory requirements that um, apply to us um, and allow us to control um the company's uh risk in the day-to-day -day conduct of business itself yeah so um definitely that is something that uh would be uh a core um area of difference which i make in my day-to-day -day work yeah so um other than that i also see myself uh, as a business enabler uh, because ultimately in order for us uh, to acquire new users and to grow in different markets itself we would definitely need licenses uh and registrations across um different uh, jurisdictions itself. And that's where I actually see myself uh, coming in to be able to provide um, our business stakeholders with very uh, uh, timely advice in order to um, allow them to uh, come to a conclusion on whether or not uh, a particular market that they are interested uh, to expand into. Is it something that's feasible? Is it something that uh, is achievable? Uh, and if yes, uh, within uh, what kind of timeline uh, it would be? Yeah. Uh, I also see myself as, as also kind of like a product guy as well, because um, I work very closely uh, with our product team in order uh, for us to ensure that um, compliance requirements uh, can be operationalized um, in the company's day-to-day -day business. So an example of uh, such processes that I work, uh, work on would be uh, in terms of our KYC and name screening process itself. Um, because ultimately, uh, it would be a very uh, fine balance that we would have to tread uh, in order to manage uh, both risk and user experience. And I often see myself uh, wearing two hats itself, um, thinking both from the perspective of a risk and control uh, person who is working to ensure that the company is in line with regulatory requirements, while at the same time uh, putting on the hat of a user myself, okay, to... Um, to, to deliberate to see whether a particular set of processes, would it be uh, something that um, makes sense for the user? Would it uh, be something that would allow them uh, to have a good user experience uh, while ensuring that our, our compliance uh, um, expectations are met? Yeah. Sounds great. I want your job. Uh, I'm not qualified though. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, uh, I have a question today about eight hours ago the u.s um department of justice arrested elia lichtenstein and his wife heather morgan uh those names are going to be famous um they conspired to launder crypto uh connected to the 2016 bitfinex hack um there was about 120,000 bitcoin stolen then at the time it was 72 million today it's 5.1 billion uh, they were arrested and um, the way they did it, and I want to find out how this all works, right, um, was 
they use a variety of methods. And I don't understand any of this, but I'm going to ask you. Uh, they use a variety of methods, including chain hopping, depositing coins at exchange, and dark net, dark net markets, and then automating transactions using computer programs. Um, how? What are those three, three things in the area of anti-money laundering? And why is it? Why do we got to take a closer look at that? Well, the reality is that um, cryptocurrencies uh, provide a very attractive uh, means uh, for criminals to uh, launder uh, criminal proceeds uh, for a few reasons. Uh, mainly because um, the reality is that even today, uh, quite a large number of cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, haven't been licensed or registered um, uh, and have um, robust uh, anti-money laundering and counter-financing uh, of terrorism uh, risk and control measures in place. So that makes uh, cryptocurrency exchanges in general uh, something that would uh, probably be more attractive than uh, traditional financial institutions um, for criminals to launder uh, their proceeds of crime itself. Yeah, and secondly, um, the other uh, reason why uh, cryptocurrency exchanges are attractive uh, would be in terms of their ability to move uh, large amounts of funds uh, quickly uh, at low cost across borders itself. Yeah, so that these two uh, reasons are the key reasons why uh, the cryptocurrency uh, industry has been at risk uh, for many years when it comes to uh, money laundering risk itself. Yeah. And the reality is that um, in order for uh, the BitMEX um, uh, hackers to be able to uh, move uh, this large amount of cryptocurrencies uh, to launder these proceeds across various cryptocurrency uh, exchanges, they would definitely have uh, made use of quite a number uh, of methods, which uh, you have correctly pointed out. So one of the, 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 the key uh, methods would be through the use of computer programs in order to obfuscate um, the uh, source of funds itself. So typically, uh, they would use computer programs uh, known as mixers, uh, which basically um, allow uh, funds uh, and a particular transaction to be broken down into multiple smaller transactions mixed with other people's transactions and um, these transactions are actually anonymized um, before they are being sent uh, to respective juris uh, respective exchanges itself. So that's uh, probably one of the key uh, methods that people use uh, to launder uh, crypto pro uh, proceeds itself. I would say that um, the other method, uh, commonly used method of uh, laundering crypto proceeds would be through the use uh, of cold wallets uh, on and off. Um, the entire transfer process. Um, and the reason is that, I mean, uh, for cold wallets itself, um, they can be purchased very easily uh, online or even through uh, uh, e-marketplaces like Amazon uh, for as little as maybe about 99 US dollars. And uh, with that, criminals will be able to uh, break the audit uh, trail uh, from time to time, okay, and uh, move their uh, crypto receipts uh, from one exchange to the other. Uh, while cutting off the audit trail uh, uh, itself. And the truth is that, you know, uh, in order for a person to get uh, a cryptocurrency cold wallet itself, uh, that person does not, uh, most likely wouldn't have to uh, identify and verify uh, himself before he or she purchases um, the cold wallet. So that uh, would, in a way, also uh, create 
an additional layer of secrecy uh, in the entire fund flow process. But of course, I would say that um, for cryptocurrency um, uh, money laundering itself, there are also very advanced uh, methods uh, to detect um, these transactions because ultimately uh, cryptocurrency transactions all take place on the blockchain itself. So this is basically uh, something that everybody can see. And uh, for law enforcement agencies like the US Department of Justice, all they will need to do um, is to put in place uh, a, a cryptocurrency transaction monitoring system, uh, which would be able to peel through uh, the layers uh, on the blockchain and would uh, allow investigators um, to follow the trail of the money uh, uh, ultimately to the perpetrators. Of course, this isn't something that uh, is easy. Um, and it would generally uh, take uh, quite a long time uh, for investigators to be able to um, uh, follow the money trail um, um, before they reach the perpetrators, uh, because ultimately um, a lot of uh, cryptocurrency um, money laundering activities, they are uh, fairly complex in nature, which would lead to uh, quite uh, a substantial amount of effort that law enforcement would have to put in in order to uh, follow the money trail itself. Yeah. So for capital wise, uh, we actually manage uh, uh, this risk uh, quite well uh, by putting in place uh, a cryptocurrency transaction monitoring system, uh, uh, which we use in order to monitor all our customers' transactions. So um, over at Capital, we make use of Chainalysis, uh, which has a very uh, concrete uh, and complete database itself in order for us uh, to ensure that our products and services are not misused for criminal activities. I'm glad you mentioned chain analysis. I saw that you cert were certified um, in chain analysis, and 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 that's pretty good, uh, really good. I actually was thinking about that at some point about a year ago. Um, and I'm glad that you brought it back to to, to capital, um, so we don't go off tangent. I do have one, you know, question that might rely on your on your police background and. You know, these two people, I mean, I listened, I, I watched their TikTok videos all day and, and I listened to the words and I'm like, I, you know, I'm not saying that they did, or, they did or didn't do it, but why, if you're sitting on billions of dollars, why would you grind on TikTok making videos and putting yourself out there? At, you know, it just doesn't, to me, it doesn't like one and one doesn't add up to two. So I wanted to get your well, thoughts if you had mm -hmm. any. Well, um, I would say that um, it probably would be quite complex in terms of, you know, the reasons why they want to be uh, on TikTok. Well, yet, you know, uh, they are actually, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that they did it, but they are uh, in a way linked uh, somewhat to um, the uh, Bitfinex uh, hack itself. So I would say that probably, uh, one of uh, the main reasons why somebody want to do that, I mean, thinking from a law enforcement perspective would be that, you know, they want to um, basically build a following and credibility um, around, you know, their identity. Uh, so in a way, um, you know, if they are actually playing, you know, the role of good influencers uh, on the web itself, they could potentially um, shift uh, the attention uh, that law enforcement officers may have on them uh, to throw them off track um, um, 
uh, through you know building a solid reputation uh, over the years uh, on social media itself. So that would probably be one of the reasons why um, anybody uh, would want to do that. Of course, I would say that um, these instances would probably be uh, rare because you know most financial criminals they would actually prefer uh, to keep a low profile um, so as not to be uh, in too much limelight. Um, so that they also do not throw unnecessary attention on themselves uh, uh, um, um, to, to law enforcement officers. Yeah. I've always considered a positive of blockchain technology being identity for the unidentified and not looking at it as the other way, but that yeah. makes a lot of sense. You know, um, okay, makes sense. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about risk management. Let's, <laughs> um, you know, why should we be taking you know especially with capital why should we be able to you know why should we take improving risk management measures so that we can facilitate greater acceptance of the overall industry why is that important well um i would say that it's critical uh for risk management measures to uh, be given top priority uh to facilitate greater acceptance over for the overall crypto industry um i mean the reality is that, you know, um, when in cryptocurrencies early days itself, it was actually indeed used for quite a number of illicit purposes, uh, particularly uh, uh, on um, dark web marketplaces such as um, the Silk Road itself. Yeah. So, of course, I mean, that was uh, quite a number of years ago. Uh, things have changed. But the reality is that, you know, acceptance um, from when we talk about acceptance, we are talking about acceptance from three main groups of people. Uh, from governments, from financial institutions, and from customers. And um, in order to um, get widespread uh, 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 or even universal acceptance uh, from um, these three groups of people, ultimately, uh, risk management is key because, I mean, for example, governments, they are typically inherently uh, risk adverse. Financial institutions, because they are tightly regulated by the government, they are also risk adverse. Uh, and customers, you know, when you want them to put in large amounts of their savings and assets uh, into crypto assets itself, they would also inherently be uh, more on the risk adverse uh, side of things itself. Yeah. So that's why um, uh, improving risk management measures are, are so critical. But of course, I mean, each of these three groups uh, that I've just mentioned, they are focused on different sets of risk management uh, itself, different facets uh, uh, um, by themselves. So like, for example, government agencies, um, their agenda would be simply that, you know, they do not want uh, their uh, exchanges that are important in their countries or registered in their countries um, to be used as a haven for financial uh, crime and sanctions uh, evasion itself, because that may inevitably uh, invite sanctions uh, from economically powerful countries and regional bodies on their traditional financial industries. Um, it may also invite, you know, um, a listing uh, by the FATF, the Financial Action Task Force, which is um, the international uh, body, uh, anti-money laundering body itself, uh, which may potentially list their countries as a high-risk country. So uh, reputational risk is something that uh, they are very much focused on, which also, which is also why uh, improving AML CFT measures uh, is something that uh, generally most governments would be very focused on when it comes to cryptocurrency uh, exchanges. Yeah. 
Um, the other reason why you know governments um, would um, I mean getting acceptance from governments would require improved risk management measures is also because um, for quite a number of governments they still maintain at their disposal tools that allows them um, to influence their diplomatic relations with other countries and um, being straight to the point what I'm referring to would definitely be you know sanctions itself yeah. so um, they wouldn't want uh, a branch of you know the financial services industry to be able uh, to go around uh, these tools that they have at their disposal. Um, um, so, which is why uh, managing sanctions risk itself is critical, uh, because um, ultimately the governments would want uh, financial institutions um, to be able to align. Uh, with their overall uh, policy objectives and not uh, allow you know some somewhat of a backdoor um, um, through you know lack of risk management uh, measures itself yeah and I would say the other the other key area of focus uh, for governments would be uh, consumer protection and education so which is why uh, over at capital we invest a lot of time in, into educating, uh, our customers uh, through articles on our, our blogs uh, to, to guide them on how they can make use of our products and services uh, in order to smooth our volatility uh, in order to manage the uh, risk associated with cryptocurrency. And that's something that a lot of governments are very focused on these days. We see uh, Singapore you know, taking outright measures to ban uh, cryptocurrency exchanges from marketing. Locally, we also see Spain and the UK uh, putting in place recent measures against the advertisement uh, of cryptocurrency products uh, by influencers. So um, I would say that uh, being able to uh, manage this area of uh, uh, market conduct itself would be something that uh, cryptocurrency exchanges would uh, have to be would have to put in place in order to uh, facilitate greater acceptance uh, from uh, governments itself. Uh, for financial institutions, it's also, you know, the acceptance would be somewhat uh, related uh, to uh, the agenda of the government. Um, but more specifically, financial institutions, traditional ones, they are regulated uh, very closely by governments all around the world. Yeah, so they would not, you know, they would be very unwilling to partner with uh, a cryptocurrency exchange um, that does not have in place the uh, required uh, risk management measures such as AML, CFT risk management, um, outsourcing risk, technology risk management itself, etc. Because they know that you know when they partner with cryptocurrency exchanges, like setting up an account, uh, an account for cryptocurrency exchanges, they would uh, be you know facing um, um, regulatory backlash if they. If ultimately um, these cryptocurrency exchanges who are their customers do not manage their risk uh, well itself. And the truth is that, you know, for a lot of cryptocurrency exchanges, um, they, there is indeed value, you know, for them to partner up with traditional financial institutions because ultimately, uh, uh, even today, uh, fiat and cryptocurrency uh, coexist side by side. So it isn't to say that, you know, cryptocurrencies are going to replace fiat currencies anytime soon. So, um, which is why uh, it would be uh, very important for cryptocurrency exchanges to have in place uh, the appropriate risk management measures so that they would be able to partner with traditional financial institutions uh, and would be able to offer to their customers 
uh, opportunities to convert their cryptocurrencies into fiat currencies uh, for whatever use that they have in mind. Yeah. For, for, for customers wise, um, I would say that risk management measures would be uh, critical uh, because on the minds of the customers would be uh, the number one issue about security itself. Yeah, I mean, we read uh, in the mainstream media and social media a lot about uh, hacks that took place um, uh, in various cryptocurrency exchanges, like the one that happened to uh, the next uh, couple of years back. So customers would definitely put uh, security as um, top on the priority when it comes uh, to their crypto assets itself, because the last thing they will want to do is uh, for their hardened savings, you know, to be stolen by hackers who hack into a cryptocurrency exchange that has uh, uh, a poor set of technology risk management um, um, controls itself. Yeah. Got it. So that's with the on the exchange side. So yes, they've been hacks. I agree, and they're proving. Let's talk about the customers. Let's talk about the customer side, right? Um, yeah. Let's let's talk about. Let's talk about extension browser wallets. There was recently a warning put out by the guy's name. He doesn't spell his name expert. It's not E-X-P-E-R-T. It's three E-X-P-0-R-T put out a report mm -hmm. saying that there's going to be an upcoming attack or a malware attack called Mars Stealer, right? Um, it's malware, right? How How can we combat you know, this this current malware and, and future malware attacks on the extension browser level? Well, I would say that ultimately it would be, uh, you know, combating malware um, both current, uh, presently and in the future. It would have to be a, a partnership you know, between the crypto exchange um, and the customer itself. Yeah. For crypto exchanges, uh, ultimately, I think it's uh, critical um, for them for crypto exchanges to invest uh, into cybersecurity to make uh, cybersecurity a top priority uh, when it uh, when when setting up the exchange, even from right from the start itself, and to invest in proper cybersecurity tools in order to ensure that um, um, that the, the system vulnerabilities etc. Uh, are you know identified and addressed uh, on a timely basis. So that also would in, uh, include, you know, having the right uh, uh, people to staff um, the exchanges information security team uh, in order to ensure that, you know, any gaps uh, are rectified on a timely basis. I would also say that um, for exchanges, it would be important for them um, to also uh, perform regular penetration testing uh, on their entire tech infrastructure in order to make sure that um, any areas of vulnerabilities are addressed, are identified and addressed early um, before um, um, hackers actually, you know, exploit such vulnerabilities and uh, create a loss uh, to the exchanges customers. So I guess, you know, the way to frame it would be that, you know, um, when it comes to um, cybersecurity itself, cryptocurrency exchanges have to view it uh, not as a business cost, like what you know uh, has been traditionally uh, uh, been seen, but rather they should view you know cybersecurity as somewhat of an investment to ensure that uh, the exchanges um, um, business reputation itself 
can be safeguarded uh, for the long run so that the business uh, can be sustainable. Yeah. So a culture of uh, awareness has to be inculcated uh, by the exchange to all its staff in order to maintain uh, proper cyber hygiene uh, within the company. I mean, it could also, you know, uh, take the form of um, very simple and regular uh, email broadcast to all staff, you know, to uh, educate them to not to, you know, open the files, uh, 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 suspicious files that are being sent to them, uh, or to validate uh, the identity uh, of um, somebody uh, who has uh, uh, sent, you know, a particular file to them uh, and requested them to hang on it. Yeah. So that would be uh, something that I would see uh, as uh, necessary uh, and something that all exchanges uh, should be doing. Uh, when it comes to user education, definitely um, the exchanges should um, <clears throat> uh, conduct regular user education in order to educate uh, all their customers on uh, available authentication features and uh, what they can do in order to uh, safeguard their own assets, you know, such simple stuff such as, you know, not uh, to disclose, you know, their, their identity, their, 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 their passwords, etc. to um, uh, people, to other people. Yeah. Um, and of course, I mean, it wouldn't, it's, it's also definitely a partnership uh, uh, where the where effort has also to be put in uh, by consumers uh, in order to make sure that uh, they do not compromise their own accounts, that they turn on all available authentication features uh, before transactions uh, can be uh, processed. Um, so this would be some of the uh, ways in which they can uh, actually safeguard themselves uh, against uh, similar malware attacks. Yeah. Got it. Thank you. So I have I have uh, a couple last questions. This one, the first one is, uh, just wanted to get your take on this. Why, you know, and it's it's a, yeah. Why are regulators nervous? I would say nervous, right? Proper word about allowing crypto to go mainstream. Oh, I would say that regulators are nervous uh, for a number of reasons. Um, earlier, I've pointed out that uh, one of the main reasons would be that you know they do not want uh, their countries uh, to be seen as a haven for financial criminals to operate. Uh, on exchanges that are headquartered uh, or you know listed uh, uh, or registered in their countries itself. Um, the truth is uh, regulators are inherently risk-averse, right? And the truth is also that in crypto's early days, it was indeed uh, the preferred method of payment for criminals who operate in the dark web. So like, for example, I mentioned earlier, uh, the very first online dark web marketplace, the Silk Road relied very heavily on Bitcoin as an alternative uh, to conventional and uh, to conventional payment systems itself. Um, and it was actually chosen because precisely because uh, back then, uh, Bitcoin uh, and crypto cryptocurrencies was borderless and unregulated itself. So regulators, when you know they want to uh, turn give legitimacy to such a product, you know, um, they would be nervous uh, naturally because uh, the truth is that while we say that you know uh, these things took place during crypto's early days, they weren't really that long ago. I mean, they were only like some somewhere somewhere in the last ten years. So for regulators to change that attitude to grant crypto 
uh, currencies, the legitimacy that you know traditional finance such as banks, insurance companies have itself, they would naturally want to see a uh, positive change uh, for them to be uh, to for the exchanges to prove to them that you know um, they have in place uh, risk management uh, systems, anti money laundering uh, controls that are at least as robust as what traditional. Uh, financial institutions have because the last thing that you know regulators want would really be for their countries to be on some kind of FATF blacklist uh, or mentioned uh, by uh, uh, regional bodies such as the EU as you know a high risk uh, um, place itself. Yeah, because at the end of the day, I, I would imagine most countries would be very uh, keen uh, in order to uh, 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 preserve their reputation as a as a clean, you know, financial uh, center itself. Um, yeah. So I would say that the other reason why you know regulators are also very nervous is also because um, they may have also viewed um, the recent, the recent um, explosion in crypto activities as something like. Um, I mean, they may potentially view it as a hype where you know influencers and uh, uh, come on come on to you know uh, social media like TikTok uh, and Twitter to talk about how much they've made uh, in in cryptocurrencies, etc. So regulators would naturally uh, be you know focused on consumer protection that they do not want uh, a crisis where the ordinary man on the street. Uh, gets burned by cryptocurrency because uh, they are buying the things that they do not uh, understand at all. Just because you know somebody else says that hey, it's a great, uh, 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 it's a great um, uh, uh, medium of investment itself. So that's naturally something uh, why they are very nervous about allowing crypto to go mainstream. Particularly also because in most most jurisdictions itself, uh, when it comes to traditional financial products like. Uh, securities, the you know the secure, traditional securities exchanges need to put in place a lot of disclosure requirements as well as um, to also do stuff like a financial needs analysis before they are allowed to, to push their products you know to customers. But we don't actually have that for crypto at the moment, so naturally they are you know very nervous uh, about this, and um, I guess you know it would be a very much ongoing effort. Uh, for various cryptocurrency exchanges uh, to engage with the regulators uh, to share with them their perspective uh, on managing this area of risk, what they are actually doing uh, to safeguard their consumers uh, 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 from making a bad investment choice, right? So like for example, uh, for Capital, we invest a lot of time um, to come up with uh, user education, to work on user education, to uh, guide customers on, on, on methods to smooth out volatility, volatility such as dollar cost averaging itself. Yeah. So these are some of the means which uh, we, uh, we, we, we proactively take in order to educate customers. And definitely uh, when we have the opportunity, we would also be seeking uh, to speak with regulators to also share with them our approach on how we actually uh, are aligned with the objective uh, to safeguard uh, uh, the consumers and the average man uh, from making a bad uh, investment decision itself. Yeah. Got it. Fascinating. You're in a fascinating field. Um, awesome. So 
I want to thank you very much for your time today. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, I'm honored to have this conversation with you. And my final question is this. How can people find out more information about you, about what you do, about your company capital? Um, how can they, you know, uh, be safe out there? How can they do that? Well, um, we have a very comprehensive website. Uh, it's www.capital.com. Uh, capital as in C-A-B-I-T-A-L dot com. And uh, we have uh, our own in-house blog that uh, has a lot of uh, content that we publish on a regular basis to educate users about uh, cryptocurrency, the types of cryptocurrencies uh, we offer on our platform uh, and why, um, how do we actually, uh, how can users actually make use of uh, our products and services in order to um, um, uh, reach their own financial goals and objectives over time. Yeah, uh, and how to invest responsibly, responsibly in cryptocurrencies. Yep. So um, all the information is all out there on our website. So I would definitely encourage uh, listeners to, uh, uh, to 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 check in uh, on our website uh, to have a look. Yep. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Jamil.